0: In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. My brothers and sisters, 3,000 years ago, a little shepherd boy who would become king and a famous psalmist, David, rhetorically asked the question, Lord, who may abide Upon your holy hill. And then David. In his wisdom. Proceeds with God's help. To answer that question. And the answer is. Whoever speaks the truth. From his heart. He may abide. On God's holy hill. He who does. No evil to his friend. Or to his neighbor. Indeed he will abide on your holy hill. He who rejects wickedness and honors those who fear the Lord, he will abide on God's holy hill. He who has sworn to do no wrong and is good to his word, he too will abide on God's holy hill. He who doesn't give money for gain or take bribes, you got it. He will abide on God's holy hill. 300 years later, in other words, 2,700 years ago, the prophet Micah, speaking on behalf of God, asked another rhetorical question What does the Lord require? To do justice. That's what the Lord requires. To love kindness, that's what the Lord requires. To walk humbly with your God, that's what the Lord requires. Now, 2,100 years ago, we got the complete answer. And Jesus weighs in on the topic. Jesus tells us of God's blessings, beatitudes, blessings for the poor in spirit, for those that mourn, for the meek, for those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for the merciful, for the pure in heart, for the peacemakers, and for those who are persecuted and are reviled for their righteousness and for their faith. Jesus gives us this list of blessings, and we might be happy just with that, to take it and to go. But I think Jesus' meaning in this Sermon on the Mount is much richer, much more encompassing than we might imagine, and it goes so far beyond what David and Micah had shared with God's people. You see, it's not just a simple how-to Christian guide, but much, much more. Now, as beautiful as our English language is, though it might be difficult for someone to learn, the English doesn't always tell us what we need to know scripturally. As many of you know, the, the New Testament was written in Greek. And then was translated into other languages. And that creates some difficulties. And we don't get the full richness. For example, in the first verse, it says, After he sat down, Jesus began to speak. It's pretty straightforward. But you see, most of us would take that as being an informal session you know in my mind's eye I can picture Jesus strolling along a little country lane out in the in the wilderness in Galilee maybe along the lake he's got a disciple on his left and a disciple on his right and the others are following shortly behind and they're just strolling out through the countryside and people begin to observe them and they said there goes Jesus and they fall in line behind the disciples and they follow And pretty soon, Jesus looks back, and there's a crowd. He sees the crowd, and Jesus looks for a comfortable spot. He finds a place with some nice grass, and he he sits down, and and the others come up and surround him, and, and Jesus begins extemporaneously to teach and to preach. But that is not probably at all what happened. And the English doesn't capture it. You see, Jesus being seated to teach and to preach was not at all casual. Formal teaching by rabbis was done seated. Our bishops today, exercising their authority, do it seated. Confirmations, ordinations are done while the bishop is seated. It's called ex cathedra. The cathedral is the home of the bishop's seat. So what Matthew is telling us here is this is a very, very formal setting. Pay attention. Another example in the difficulty of translation is the next little phrase where it says, and taught them, Jesus, and taught them, saying, Now, suffice it to say that taught that was used here in our English is not that way in Greek. It's not a simple past tense. You see, in Greek, there are two forms of past tense. One that is singular, something, individual thing that's happened in the past, and another where it is a multiple or continuing thing that has happened in the past. And Jesus taught in the latter sense, in the continuing sense. And we can deduce from that. That these teachings that Jesus was giving that day on the beatitudes, on the blessings, were not unique. They just didn't happen in this sermon on the mountain. They were something that he frequently and always did. That he always taught. In other words, they were the essence and core of his ministry. And we don't get that from the English. One more thing on grammar before I get started. All the blessings that Jesus mentioned are in the present tense. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are. Present tense. Now, the result of those blessings... May come now or come later, that varies, but all of the blessings are in the present tense. Jesus' disciples, you see, have already, here and now, on, this, on the ground in front of Jesus, have entered the kingdom of heaven. In their very faith and trust that they have in Jesus, they have become members, citizens of the kingdom of heaven. The Apostle John, in his revelation, tells us that the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah. And he will reign forever and ever. The Beatitudes, these blessings, they are not simple statements, but exclamations. They are commendations of what is, not an existence that Christians will enter into in the future. But something to which they already belong. So having said that, let's take a look at the blessings. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now we're talking about more than impoverishment here. We're talking about more than those who are challenged by hunger or by lack of housing. Though God did have concern for the poor and expects us to have that same concern. But the blessing here, the blessings that we share with these disciples is more in the recognition of our dependency on God alone. Recognizing our inability to provide for ourselves. Recognizing, if you will, our debt to him. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now this is beyond the consolation of a lost loved one. And this is where we, as Christians today, share with those disciples the wider grief over wrongs of society and over wrongs of the world and we anguish with them and with God for those who suffer that is our blessing blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth and the blessing here is humility not passivity Here, as the blessed, we are to use Jesus as our role model. Jesus puts his trust in God. And after all, the opposite of faith is not doubt, as Thomas gets stuck with, but the opposite of faith is lack of trust in God. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. We are blessed here, my brothers and sisters, along with the disciples, because we are able and desire to see God's will be done. We have a drive in us as Christians to see God's justice, to strive that all of God's people might participate In the bounty of God's creation, excluding no one. We are blessed because we seek to see, as Christians, as disciples of Christ, the vindication of those who suffer. Blessed are the merciful. For they will receive mercy. Again, we share with the disciples this blessing, recognizing that mercy is an attribute of God, freely extended through His grace. Mercy is loving kindness, or in the Hebrew, hisid. Mercy is forgiveness, not seven times. But 77 times, an inexhaustible number of times, forgiveness is what we share with the other disciples. It is a blessing we share, given to us by God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Again, this is a blessing that we share as we hold up integrity and moral uprightness and we share wholehearted devotion to God. The blessing here for us today is that we can see God not only in the future but in our lives now. Blessed are the peacemakers. For they are God's children. The blessing here is that we are able to participate in reconciliation. That we are able with the disciples and with our fellow Christians to love our neighbors as ourselves. That we are able to participate in the healing of brokenness. And we are able to recognize that peace, peace is the very nature of God's work. Blessed are the persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We share in this blessing a loyalty to God and the expectation, the promise of eternal reward. You see, the blessings that Jesus enumerated, they reflect the very heart of God. The kingdom, thy kingdom come, on earth as in heaven. Heaven, you see, is God's space. Heaven is God's space, where full Reality exists and it is joined to our reality in the incarnate person of Jesus the Christ on earth as in heaven, in a realm where God is already King and where we who believe already receive His blessings. Rejoice and be glad is how the Beatitudes end when Jesus talks about those who are persecuted and reviled for their belief in him. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. My brothers and sisters, our reward, our reward is the presence of heaven come to earth in the loving grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. Our reward is the presence of heaven come to earth in the loving grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are continually to turn to Him, and as we do, we are among the blessed. As we repent and we receive his grace, we are renewed and we become a new people, his people. We are summoned by Jesus to live in the present, making sense out of God's future. Because, my brothers and sisters, the future has arrived in Jesus. for his children, for his beloved, and for us. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we are blessed. And for those blessings, thanks be to God.